Welcome, everyone. I am Bob Wurzelbacher, the director of the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena. We'll hear a personal story from someone deeply affected by that issue. And finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. This month, we're going to talk about the effects of technology and media on family life, and especially how to utilize it in your families while keeping your kids safe from some of those dangers. As always, we have a special guest. Will you please introduce yourself? Hi, I am Jason Jenkins, and I am a school psychologist in Troy, Ohio, and I've been there for right at 17 years. 17 years. So Jason, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Kids, you know, what's your family life? Sure. I have three children with my wife, Teresa. We've been married for 16 years. We have a daughter who is our oldest. She just turned 14. We have a son soon to be 13 and then another son soon to be 11. So we have three children, all pretty close in age. Yes, you do. So 14, 13, 11, I would say you are right in the midst of those questions that everyone is asking about how do I let my kids online? When do I give them a phone? All those kinds of questions that uh, we're all asking ourselves. Let's start and try to be a little positive, right? What are some of the positive things that you would say about this advancement in technology and all the things that we can do on our mobile devices and on television, et cetera, for good Catholic families today? I think one of the, the biggest perks of technology is the ease of which we can access information. The wealth of knowledge that is actually out there is, is, is pretty impressive. Right. And I think another piece with, with technology that is a neat feature is the way we can stay in constant contact with folks. The communication piece is a big part, again, of media if it's used appropriately. Those are two big selling points for me with technology. It keeps us connected if we're using it appropriately. And the, just the, the vast information that is out there. I live 600 miles away from my old hometown. So media is a great way to stay in contact. As we all know, that's been especially true this past year, right? Absolutely. <laughs> my kids were able to stay in contact with their friends. We made online play dates over the past year sure. that we never did before. And I was still able to stay in contact with my mother who... I would otherwise would have driven down the road and visited her, but I was really being careful, at least in the beginning. I certainly agree with all that. And yet we know that there are concerns, particularly as a school psychologist. What are some of the concerns that you even have seen with other kids, if not your own kids that, you know, we sure. need to be concerned about? And there's a lot of research that's coming out, you know, as we have now have had really cell phones for the last 10 to 15 years, especially for teenagers, it makes them very aloof. There's a high correlation with depression and anxiety with screen time. It's pretty significant correlation. Kids that obviously have more screen time are showing more signs of depressive symptoms and anxiety. See that a lot in school. They get so self-absorbed with the technology. I think those are two big areas I see as the anxiety and depression. And the other piece that comes with that is the lack of communication skills I'm seeing with a lot of these youth. So even just verbal conversation sometimes seems to be lacking for children. On our own family, you know, we just crossed that threshold of we just got our 14-year-old daughter a phone. Right. But many caveats and many features and parental controls, and hopefully those things outweigh those potential negatives. But I have seen a lot of kids demonstrate a lot of depressive symptoms. They get on those social media sites, and it's a whole nother world that they have to navigate. And without a lot of parental support in some of those worlds, because they can just access it whenever and however they want, it's a hard world for them to navigate. And the other big piece I see is just the ease of accessing stuff that's inappropriate, pornography being the biggest one. 
Before we get there, that's going to be a big piece, but I almost hear kind of two different things. You were talking about screen time in general. There's just screen time and depression. And then there's being on social media and being exposed to perhaps bullying or societal pressures of how you're supposed to be that gets amplified on social media that could cause depression. Are we talking about two different things or do like a study saying that just being on a screen for so long in of itself is bad? There is a little differentiation for sure. I mean, you know, just being on the screen seems to have a lot of negative connotation, especially with peer interaction, communication skills. They are showing a high correlation with anxiety and depression, just amount of screen time. So just quantifying how much time kids are on a screen or in front of some type of screen or device is showing some negative side effects. Now, I think when you delve a little deeper into when they're getting into social media, that exacerbates, I think, a lot of that. I think they kind of run simultaneous, but I think they're very two distinct things. It's one more thing that kids have to navigate and usually don't have the support or the wherewithal or the frontal lobe (laughs) to navigate some of those conditions. Is there a rule of thumb, right? When you say screen time between television, video games, particularly perhaps in the summer when they're not busy with school and homework, was there like, well, they really just shouldn't be on any type of screen for more than X amount of time. Do you have a kind of a rule of thumb? I'm not sure about the latest research. We try just within our own family to limit screen time in its entirety because we, we right. include TV to really two hours or less a day. Right. I think there has to be some limits. I think research has shown that most kids now that, that number continues to go up. I know a couple of years ago, it was an average of about three to four hours of screen time a day. And that was usually for school age children. And my guess is that has actually gone up. And we actually try to limit it. You know, we say after a certain time, you're not allowed on it. The TV turns off, the computer's off. We actually don't have tablets. We have one central computer in our house that sits in our office. We have one television set. Some kids aren't allowed to have TVs in their room. And then the cell phones go in a little cabinet we have in the kitchen in the charging station. And they have to be on dock by about nine o'clock. And our little, you know, nook of the world and being on a farm, we can really limit that because there's a lot of activities to do. We're also blessed that our children love to read. Um, you actually have to usually pull them away from, from books for at least me and my wife, Teresa. We really navigated that. We didn't want them to have any device. So it was really a hard decision to even hand our daughter a, a cell phone because we haven't had Kindles. We haven't had iPads. We haven't even had iPods. They really haven't had any kind of media device. I can say just with that comparison, it was really nice because it was one less thing as a parent you actually had to worry about that you had to manage, that you had to monitor. So in your family, you're kind of a rule of thumb of two hours. This might just get in the specifics of family. But I'm just talking about my own. It's very typical. It's a Friday night family movie night. So an hour and a half, two hours on Friday night, family gets out and watches a movie. Mm-hmm. That is always going to be in addition to whatever limits they have on their own personal sure. media. Do you have that kind of a thing? Do you ever sit as a family together? Is that in addition to whatever restrictions you have on their personal devices? Yes. And I would say we actually do quite a bit of that. We've gotten here recently where we watched the Chosen series. Kids really right. kind of get into that. So we love kind of watching that. We're big Friday, Saturday night, family night kind of families. So I think that's in addition to what we normally try to do. I think that is time that's one well spent. And then it's usually with information we've already pre-screened that we know is probably going to be advantageous. That's good. Just wholesome family fun. When it comes to media, just in general, I mean, it feels like it used to be easier to just assume a certain show was going to be safe and you didn't have to watch the whole thing first and then decide whether or not your kids can watch it. But for me, when it comes to promotion of either homosexual relationships or to some extent, even transgender 
seems to be more of a, hey, kids, love everyone, kind of easily confuse the message of loving everyone means acceptance, right, of non-Christian definitions of marriage. How do you navigate that with young preteens and what they can watch on television? I think it's hard because I think you hit the nail on the head. There's so much more in the media that is much more explicit. And there's so many innuendos. And I think that makes it hard for kids because they inadvertently are very much targeting certain things when they're presenting a show or a topic. We have cable and we would turn a show off quickly because we're like, where did that come from? You know, it seems like things are all along. This show seems okay. And you're like, whoa, bad word. Or that wasn't even subtle. You know, some of the innuendos and things they make, you know, so I think for parents it's hard because, you know, we tried to come out with these things years ago. There's these parental ratings, which I think we have found are very loose extreme. They're like, oh, this is PG. This is PG 13. This is for mature audiences. And I think what I have seen, at least personally, they keep skewering that further and further down. You know, used to 18 year olds. And I think about this when I was a kid, I'm like, I don't ever remember shows being able to say certain cuss words. Profane words were just not allowed. Right. And now it's like, you can just use them left and right on the radio, on the TV, of course, then on media, YouTube. My son was just watching a YouTube video not too long ago. And I was like, whoa, 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 what, what was that? And it seemed to be a harmless, they were just critiquing this Minecraft video. And there all of a sudden there was this curse bomb that just popped right. up. Like, Buddy, we need to turn, I think we need to turn that off. But yeah. if me and my wife wouldn't have been close by, the scary thing is he'd have heard that. Maybe would I asked a question about it, being a 10 or 11 year old boy, probably not. And then that would have registered. I think it's hard. I mean, I think for parents, more so than ever, our alertness to things, I would say has to be pretty high because there is so much information coming at our children that one, as parents, we have to filter because some of it is profane. Some of it is inappropriate. Where are you with your kids' ages in terms of allowing them to watch it? anything without you being there? Are you always there? Do you always trust your kids to bring something up? My wife's a stay-at-home mom, so we have that luxury. You know, so a lot of times, because we only have one TV, we have an open floor plan. You know, sits right off the kitchen. We're usually around. And that is not always the case. We do have, I think, I hope, <laughs> a certain level of trust with them because we've made it very specific things they can't and shouldn't watch when we're not around. We have limited a few parental controls. We have Sling, you know, which is a web-based service provider. There are several channels that, you know, they've been told you just don't click on. Unfortunately, it's TBS and USA Network. We recently had to really help navigate with them. They like to pull up the YouTube videos because we have a smart TV so you can get the YouTube videos. And again, some of them look very harmless. And like you said, with some of that media, there's no rating. I know we have Sling, for an example, you can click on and it gives you a very brief description which usually doesn't really encompass right. what you think you're going to see or get. And, right. and YouTube and, and Instagram and other social media sites, are, I think are police probably even less. They're just, hey, click on this video. And here's a four or five word description of what the video might be. And then you click on it and you're like, well, that was not what the video said at all. Right, right. <laughs> Unfortunately. Right. Generally, our kids, we kind of allow them a little bit of TV time. We're not here. But generally, one of me and my wife or both of us are here. I just think that's a little bit easier. Our kids have had, you know, some conversation about things they've seen. You know, we talk to them about it on the computer. If anything ever pops up or something seems real fishy, you let us know right away. I know when we got the PlayStation, that was another media piece. Uh, we didn't connect it to the internet. And that was something I'm like, yeah, I don't mind you playing some games here and there. You know, we really kind of try to screen the games. They're mostly sports games. And they're like, oh, dad, we can link and we can talk. Oh, no, we, we don't need to be doing some of those things. You can play games with your brother and sister. 
I don't need to know that you're playing with somebody down the street that we've never met through a headset. Yeah, my kids are just getting into that as well. And at the moment, they will play a game online with somebody who we know, we know their families, and they are connected with that person. But there is absolutely no open, anybody feels like playing with you from who knows where and who knows how old they really are. So what about with bullying and social media and do they have Facebook accounts? How much do you have to watch those? Does your filtering service at your phone help you with that? Thankfully, we just crossed into our daughter having a cell phone, but we do not. None of our kids have any type of social media accounts. My wife has a Facebook account. I have zero social media accounts. Part of that's the nature of my job. I just don't. I like to keep those things separate. And again, not knocking some aspects of social media, but you know, that is one thing I would highly encourage parents to limit. I, I think that the adage less is more sums up social media perfectly. <laughs> it, 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 it is just a platform that is so much harder to manage. It's not always based in reality. And we have teenagers whose brains haven't formed and they're forming all these synapses and trying to form these emotional and social and spiritual connections. And, and to have a realm out there that as parents, it makes me really nervous that I can't police like I can in the physical world. Less is definitely more because then we turn these kids loose. You mentioned parental controls. Thankfully, that's the other advantage of technology. There's some things that definitely can be put in place to help. You can even monitor your router. You can monitor social media sites. You can yeah. put apps. There's even parental control software. So there are many things I think to help parents, but no, as of yet, our children don't have any social media accounts. I would prefer for that to stay that way as long as humanly possible. Right. Have you had any difficulty with that? Did you say 14? Your mm -hmm. oldest is 14. Does mm -hmm. she like, look, all my friends are on Instagram. Why can't I be on whatever it is? What is the story with the 14 year old? You know, Bob, that's a good conversation. Cause I think for years, especially when she was about 12, Dad, I want a phone. Everybody's got a phone. We had made it very clear to her that that was non-negotiable at that point. And it's funny to see her now. She's only had the phone for a month. So take that with a very small sample size. Right. I think has carried over some of those things we were trying to initiate even without the phone into this. We had a great conversation about the pitfalls of social media. I hope at least with me and my wife being very firm in our stance with not getting the phone. And then we did. She opened up the phone and there was this list couple bullet points of this is when me and your mom always have access to it. These are some of the limits you have on it. These are some of the things we're always going to ask you. I hope at least again, hearing that, but you know, she is a teenager with that, you know, so-and-so has this, you know, when she first got the phone, you know, I said, you know, as of right now, you can put a few game apps on there if you want that we've checked out. You can do the group texting. You do have some limited access to internet, but as of now, and I'll cross my fingers and say a prayer. She has no access to social media on her site. And thankfully, doesn't seem, at least on the surface, as interested in that. And I hope that's something to see that me and her mom have planted. Are you aware of specific apps that you want to suggest to parents who have kids that are on social media? Yes. You know, one of the things we have through the school, and parents can have reports to this, is GoGuardian. Um, that's more of an education base, but it, it alerts administrators. We can send reports to parents. You mentioned NetNanny, I think earlier, is a pretty good one for parental control software. There's Custodio, which is spelled Q-U-S-T-U-D-I-O. Okay. It's supposed to be a pretty highly rated one. And then Norton has a family piece to their antivirus and different things or four that I'm somewhat familiar with. I mean, Annette Nanny's been around a while. GoGuardian, like I said, was something we use because our school uses it. And, then we, and because I work in the school, I can access it. Thankfully, the district I work in and the district my kids go to both use it. 
but it's really nice. It even alerts if there's certain statements they, they look, they make and, or if there's any, and it filters all the content, like most of these parental controls do. And there's certain things you can kind of increase the sensitivity to certain things, which is kind of nice as a parent. So if, for example, GoGuardian will let them know if there's anything that looks suicidal, right. there's any type of threatening action. And then of course, certain websites are just flat out flagged and blocked based right. off how you set that criteria. So those are things I would definitely encourage parents. I see more and more coming out because I think with the technology boom, people are seeing some pitfalls and some disadvantages. So then people on the other side are going, well, let's make more technology. So GoGuardian, is that something you can privately subscribe to as well? GoGuardian? You can't per se. So like we can send parent reports. I can see those parent reports, but it's not something a parent can specifically set. So the other three, the Norton family, the okay. Net Nanny, and Custodio would be something parents could purchase and implement on certain devices and, and have much more self-management. Now, Covenant Eyes, I think that's very much, that's pretty limited to pornography, I believe. Yes. Whereas you were talking about like Net Nanny, I'm just looking at it right now, actually. It's mm-hmm. screen time. I think it has filtering of pornography does it have things related to the social media you can set some parameters i think that's you know it's what a lot of things even when they first introduced parental controls to tv years ago you 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 can make it as narrow or as broad sometimes of a spectrum of what you want it to to kick out or keep in but yes my understanding is net nanny does have some things where you can actually specifically because it's still web-based and once they go to a website whether it be twitter or instagram you can then kind of tell it to, to scroll. And that parental software is pretty neat because it works in real time to really search that whole page, that whole site. If things come up, it can alert you through an app on your phone or it'll even block certain things just flat out, like as a web filter, it'll just say, you can't open this page. So the big obvious one, so pornography, right? We all know how easy that is to access online. Are you aware of issues, how that can be such a problem in a young person's life now and how important it is and what we can do to keep that out of our homes and off of our devices when we give those to our Absolutely. kids? Absolutely. There is a lot of research for pornography. That research is now coming down to younger ages because the access is much greater. But there is a high level of correlation with school problems, problems with later intimacy. You know, you see a lot of aggressive issues, especially in boys. There's a high correlation with pornography, viewership, and, and aggressive. You know, you also have the demeaning of women. You have the, it changes a lot with the sexuality and the intimacy. And a lot of those correlations have been made for years. You know, the other scary research is they've shown that pornography actually changes brain chemistry, similar to a drug. And when kids don't understand that there's the dangers, because there's really no limit to pornography, the limit should be zero. And for a lot of kids with the ease of access, the lack of supervision, and there are more things out there. I went through a, a thing two or three years ago, some training on social media and pornography. And it was just, it was very frightening. And because we know everything's out there on the web. And then there's this even dark web that kind of freaks me out and I lose sleep at night that people can access. The amount of stuff that it, that is profane, that is horribly inappropriate. And, you know, and kids, we've had several instances in our own school district and school system. And I've heard this in other school systems where people send inappropriate pictures. You know, right. you're trying to explain to these kids that that is forever captured in cyberspace. And then this young kid shares the information with one of two or five or six thousands of his buddies. And then we have these situations where people don't understand how it exacerbated so quickly. And then it becomes very embarrassing. There's a lot of guilt. Those are things for families, especially pornography destroys our sense of intimacy. It destroys relationships. If kids get to it sooner, that trajectory 
starting a whole lot sooner, you know, where there's damage in relationships, kids are becoming more aggressive, more distance. What I have found too in schools is there's more access to pornography. And then we go less on the end of why it's bad, how you form appropriate viewpoints of sexuality and intimacy, because pornography for a lot of kids is where they get that. That's not an appropriate model for any of those things. I think me and you know that. I think a lot of our listeners will probably know that. But I think for a lot of people, if you can limit things, social media is bad, but the pornography, and it can be very damaging. And once it's kind of like this rabbit hole, because it does really engage the brain in negative ways, it makes it a very difficult addiction to break. And if kids are accessing that at 11, 12, 13 years of age, they're kind of getting a head start and not the appropriate head start on some of this inappropriate information. And then by the time they're high school, young adults, they have very skewed perceptions of relationships, healthy relationships, intimacy, even views of self, because some of that stuff can damage how we view our sexuality. I think when you view a lot of pornography too, there's recent research that shows how it links to a lot of these other sexuality issues. You have a lot more disordered thoughts because it's hard to filter all that information. You go, well, I saw this on this show. So that must be okay. Or it must be real, or it must be a model that I need to follow. (laughs) That seems like a nice person and that's what they believe. So it must be okay. So I suppose you would suggest if your child at any age, no matter how young they are, frankly, if they ever have any access to the internet without you being around, you absolutely have to have some kind of filtering device. And if you don't have any kind of filtering device, don't give your child one minute of access to the internet without you being around until you've got that. That's a solid rule right there because otherwise they're going to find it. I think that's a great point, Bob, because I think at some juncture, my Easy argument, we just don't let them get on anything that can connect to the internet. But I think if parents are going to dive into this, explore this, I, I think they would be horribly amiss if they didn't go in there with these tools to really help arm themselves with at least another layer of protection. Because I know kids are going to be unsupervised. I know my own kids at some point are going to be unsupervised. I know at some point my kids are probably going to access that. I would love to to live in a fairy tale world and hope that never happens. Right. You know, so I think those conversations or when my phone buzzes and I can check an app and go, okay, we're going to have to have a conversation. People I've spoken with so far are not familiar with this specific app, but there's an app called Bark. It appears to be more specifically able than others I've seen to alert parents. It filters pornography, it blocks any websites you want to block. But if they're on social media, for example, and they're having a conversation and there are buzzwords that they see that had that sound like this could be bullying, this could be really depressive, this could be suicidal thoughts. Now, the parent will get an email about that. So you don't have to look at every single conversation. You'll get an email specifically because the software targets specific words, right, that might come up. And then you'll read that and you'll see, oh, okay, that's nothing. Or, oh, I need to talk to my kid about that. And this one appears to do that more than anything else I've seen. Not that I have it. If you're going to let them on a social media platform, then you've let them on it. So outside of grabbing their phone and saying, I'm going to look at this now and see what you've said, are you aware of software that automatically scans it? And wards the parents if some certain buzzwords are, because Bark is the only one I know of that I think does that. Right. The only one I'm familiar with, and again, this is just through the school is Go Guardian. We all had school issue devices, so it was all installed. And it would send a report to the teacher, obviously the administrator, 
But then we could also forward those reports to parents. Now, a lot of times you'd follow up with the kid, like you said, and it was, they were just on a website, didn't seem inappropriate, but it was very sensitive to, to certain things. That one kid, we had to call him because he was reading about a bombing. Now, it was right. a legit story about a bombing, like war related, but it did cue that up. And then it would immediately alert the administrator and the teacher. And I have heard of Bark. I'm not very familiar with it. I think there's a lot of things as parents, we have to do due diligence too and see what's out there. There's clearly a need. I think technology is seen and people are seeing that I need to develop some of these things because we have to have limits. We have to have parameters. Humans and with our sinful nature, we need as many of those parameters <laughs> and limits that we can set. Right. I, I think, frankly, as, as we can. So then your own personal advice for you've got a teenager begging for a phone kind of thing, right? So you've now done this. You've just broken that barrier with your 14-year-old. Okay, what should my rules be if I give my teenager a phone? It's going to have a filter on it of some sort. Absolutely. You'll be able to see it at any time. It's going to go in the cabinet at night, other things like that. What what am I missing? I I think those will be the, the three big ones. And my wife actually started leading by example. She started putting hers in the cabinet before we ever got our daughter a phone. That, I could totally see that. If you're going to tell your 14-year-old, okay, because you have a phone, you're going to have to put that thing in the cabinet at night. And yet every time your kid needs a glass of water in the middle of the night and they open your door, there you are on your phone, then they're not going to like your rule. Absolutely. (laughs) So that's a good thing that all parents could do right now. That would certainly make it a whole lot easier to to put that then on your child. It laid a nice foundation. One, that's just, it, I think that helps our children when they see mom and dad doing it. I think it's easier to buy in, you know, with those things you, as a parent too. And it, it does require effort and energy. Like you have to be willing to follow through on those, those limits and parameters you said as well. And I think kids respond pretty well to that when they understand those limits and parameters. You know, our daughter, even the other day, I said, can I see your phone? She's like, sure. And I even got my little thumbprint in there so I can unlock it. And, you know, I'm scrolling. And then that was a beautiful moment because, you know, she's kind of sitting there like, there's nothing you're going to find, which as a parent was very reassuring. Right. She's not looking over my shoulder like, oh, you know. And then too, as a parent, you need to do that. I mean, I think there's a necessity in it because you have to help them. She even asked about an app and I said, well, no, let me, let me check that out. And then, you know, my wife even said, this doesn't look right, you know, and something popped up and, you know, so we're kind of navigating it. It ended up being innocent. Sometimes it's not. The other thing I would encourage parents, there is a lot of things you can do through your phone carrier. Sometimes check if you have Sprint or Verizon. I think there's even some things there with your internet carrier. There's apps for the router and different things to tell you where people have been. So there's even some things past just the general web supervision that you can also do. So that would be something else I would encourage parents, you know, because I do think less is more when it comes to this. And I know a lot of our friends are just giving them phones that basically can call and text, which again, I applaud. Then it doesn't even have access to internet. You don't dangle things in front of people's faces to entice them in a negative way. These things can damage kids. It's a world as a parent, it's scary because we can't supervise my kid and keep her safe as much as I'd want to, as much as I'd like to. But I do think we we owe it to ourselves and our children to, to go that extra step to say, let me see your phone. Let me put this software on it. Let me have conversation. I think that's the other piece sometimes that I see, Bob, that's missing with the phones is I don't see a lot of parents just having hearty, heartfelt intimate conversations with their children. Let's put the phone down for a minute. Tell me about your day. Tell me who you're talking to. Those things need to happen as well, for sure. To the extent that you can use that as a tool to open up conversations, right? With your kids. We're all putting them down because we're going to talk about our day. Even if it rings, you do not answer your phone at the dinner table, things like that. When it comes to technology and families, I would think less is more.
All right, Jason. Well, thanks for sharing. Thanks for spending some time with us today talking about the good that we can get from technology, but how it is that we can protect our kids, be good role models for our kids, right? And even use these as moments of learning and opportunities to deepen our relationship within our own families. So thanks for spending time with us today. Thanks again for having me, Bob. It was an honor and a privilege. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in on this episode of our Being Pro-Life series. Head to the website to view more resources talked about in this episode at www.catholicaoc.org slash beingprolife. Thanks again for joining us today. I look forward to being with you next time.